Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach. And each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. So we all know that I struggle with issues with chronic fatigue and brain fog. So a few weeks back, I booked in to meet with an integrative doctor in Double Bay. To cut a long story short, he came recommended by a friend of mine. Right before my almost two hour long first session with him was about to end, I said, oh, by the way, I'm almost 35. And before I even finished the sentence, he cut me off and said, egg freezing. And I was like, yep. I then went on to explain that I always knew I wanted to have kids later in life. So I just assumed I'd freeze my eggs. Now I'm in the process of checking my fertility and I'm about to meet with the fertility specialist with all the results. But as push comes to shove, I'm now second guessing if I want to go ahead with the egg freezing because I'm concerned about the cost and trauma to my body and I'm now wondering if I should just save the money and have a baby with my partner sometime next year instead. And so I wanted to know from him if given my age, that was the wrong thing to do and if I should instead freeze my eggs before I turn 35 and before I'm officially considered a geriatric by health professionals because female guilt is real. So I just really want to be sure I was making an informed decision. And without asking anything else, he goes, let me ask you these three things. One, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you like your partner's smell? Two, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the passion and desire in your relationship? And three, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the emotional and mental connection? I then rated each section and he responded by explaining to me that the reason I don't want to freeze my eggs or have kids is not because of my age, but because I am with the wrong person. Naturally, I was lost for words by this point, but he went on to explain how the different parts of the brain and body applies to each one of the questions he asked and why if you don't answer over eight for each section, it basically means you're with the wrong person. After I picked my jaw up from the floor, I said, but he's my best friend. And he said, he's your best friend, but he's not your lover. Why would you settle for friendship when you can have both? And before I could even respond, he walked out the door. So, After I left the appointment and was walking to my car, obviously I started to downward spiral. I called one of my best girlfriends and relayed everything this integrative doctor said to me. She, like me, was totally shocked. And as women do, we psychoanalyzed every aspect of the conversation as well as my relationship in the short 15 minutes we had before I picked up my partner, Nick, and our dog, Harley, from work. By the time Nick got into the car, I was a wreck. He asked how the appointment went and I said, 
do you want the good news or the bad news first? I started with the good and then explained the part where the doctor claimed I was in the wrong relationship. Nick went quiet. What followed was four hours of deep and hard chats about our entire relationship and lots of tears. Every time either Nick or I would cry, Harley would then cry too. And that night we woke up a couple of times to Harley crying in his sleep and had to call out his name or pat him until he fell back to sleep. I literally felt like I was breaking up my family. For obvious reasons, Nick felt betrayed by my conversation with the doctor, but the most concerning part for him was how much it triggered me, and rightly so. And the reason I share this story is because I really want to spend this episode talking about some of the pressures and expectations to do with love, intimacy, and relationships that this conversation with the doctor highlighted for me, because I feel like so many people struggle with the very same pressures. And I really just want to normalize that we all feel these pressures at different times. None of us are immune to them and we certainly shouldn't feel like we're in the wrong relationship because of them, not by anyone, but particularly not by a supposed professional who only asked a total of three questions. So the next day, I called upon what I like to call my committee, which is a handful of friends I trust implicitly with matters like this. I relayed the conversation I had with the doctor as well as Nick back to them, and each and every one of them said the same thing in response. One, no qualified professional with integrity would reach a conclusion like that based off three broad questions. And two, you can't judge a relationship based off those questions alone because the answers to those questions would change depending on the stage your relationship is in and the circumstances surrounding the relationship at the time. For example, my friend who just had a baby said she would rate the passion and desire at a zero. So let's circle back to why I felt so triggered after that conversation with the doctor. I've spoken a lot about how my health took a hit this year. First of all, I started the year with MDDS, which if you don't remember is the neurological disorder I came down with after attending my friend's hands on a super yacht in Sydney Harbour on the 2nd of January. Basically, I was so stressed out that my brain glitched and swapped what balance was. And for four months after that, it literally felt like I was on a boat. I feel like a crazy person when I tell this story because who does this happen to? But it did happen. And the worst part is the more stressed out or tired I was, the worse the waves felt, which is a bit of a catch-22 because obviously the neurological disorder and the fact that I had zero balance and couldn't walk properly made me incredibly stressed. So most days I felt like I was about to be washed overboard by a tidal wave. Throw in the added layer that Nick, who runs a startup, was up to his eyeballs in stress, working crazy hours trying to bring in money from investors to keep up with client demand. And my business also blew up, which meant I was working with clients from seven 7am to 8pm seven days a week. And the cherry on the cake was also finding out that one of my closest family members was diagnosed with three different types of cancers, one of which is not curable shortly after coming down with a case of shingles. So 
It was no wonder that I was struggling to maintain balance because it literally felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. And obviously, with all of this going on, the passion in my relationship with Nick also took a hit. We had been together for a year and a half. We were six months into living together and had a four-month-old puppy who was literally destroying everything around the house. And as the year went on, there were several other dramas that unfolded in both Nick's life and mine, which obviously added to our stress levels. But this is life, right? You can't predict when challenges will take place, but they're inevitable. And For some reason, I'll never understand. They typically happen at the same time. And that was certainly the case for us. And don't get me wrong, in many ways, it has made us so much stronger as a couple. Nick has been so supportive of how time poor I've been and has stepped in with the cooking, the housework and taking care of Harley. And he has never once guilted me for having to work so much. He also attended some of my neurotherapy sessions and helped me get to the root cause of what triggered the disorder in the first place. And I think there is something to be said for going through some of your most difficult times with someone where they literally see you at your worst and finding out that they still love and adore you and stand by you because it's so easy to want to be with someone when everything is going well, but to find out they're willing to stand by you when everything is going wrong is the ultimate show of love. But even though the last year has made us stronger, it has also majorly changed the dynamic of our relationship. We went from having fun, getting to know each other to overnight stressing over whether our bank accounts would cover next month's rent, as well as having to navigate coming home to finding diarrhea or vomit on the brand new couch or carpet because Harley either swallowed too much seawater after the beach or had a reaction to something he ate. And our sex life also took a hit because for four months, I could hardly walk straight. I was so seasick from the neurological disorder. And let's face it, there really isn't anything sexy about being stressed out about money or worried that one of the people you love most might not survive their cancer treatment. But obviously, when the doctor said to me, your friends, not lovers, it made me question our entire relationship. I literally became flooded with doubts, like maybe we are just friends, maybe the romance and passion is gone forever. Maybe this isn't how it's meant to feel. And when I spoke to Nick that night, I asked him questions like, are you sure you're still attracted to me? Are you sure you're in love with me or do you just love me? Have we become flatmates? I literally interrogated him so much that by the end of the conversation, even he was wondering if we were actually right for each other or if it just feels right because this was the first healthy relationship he's ever been in too. And later that night, I heard him crying in the kitchen. He was standing by the stove with Harley lying by his feet and I asked if he was okay. And he basically turned around to me and he was crying and he just said, I'm happy. And that's the thing, we are happy. No, we aren't obsessed with each other, not in the let's have sex 10 times a day kind of way at least. We are incredibly affectionate with one another, but I don't fantasize about ripping his clothes off. But I love him 
with all of my heart. And we tell each other that multiple times a day. And I miss him when he's at work and I can't wait for him to come home. He's literally the first person I want to talk to when something good happens, as well as the first person I turn to when something goes wrong. But I am not madly in love with him. It is more of a conscious, intentional and healthy type of love. And when I spoke to my guy best friend about it, I was like, but maybe we do lack passion. And he was like, but Nick isn't a passionate guy. And it's true. I've always described Nick as being just like Aiden from Sex and the City. I've dated a lot of Mr. Biggs in my time and the relationships were filled with passion, but they usually ended as quickly as they started. And my best guy friend was like, you can prioritize passion, but Nick is Mr. Consistent and Mr. Reliable, not Mr. Romantic. And he was like, you have to decide what you value more. If it's romance, you might be able to find it in someone else, but you risk losing everything you have with Nick. And when I sat with that decision, I realized there is no way I'd ever consider risking what I have with Nick. I've spoken a lot in previous apps about how research has found that on average, there is likely to be around eight to 10 things you don't love about your partner. And if you choose to find someone better, all you're really doing is trading those eight to 10 things in for another eight to 10 things. The point being, when it comes to making a relationship work, the question you have to ask yourself is, are these eight to 10 things I can live with for the rest of my life? Another piece of research I love is that the people most likely to cheat on their partners are the people who wonder if there is better out there. The irony is there will always be better, better looking, more educated, richer, more passionate, whatever it is. But my best guy friend put it really well. He goes, right now you're 34, but in 10 years you'll be 44. How would you feel if you found out Nick was wondering if he could do better or be happier with someone else. He was like, maybe it won't be more passion he's looking for. Maybe it will be more youth. And I was like, not great. And he was like, exactly. The point being, there will always be better, but better doesn't mean they're right for you. I recently hired the biggest blessing to my business so far. And I was also talking to her about my conversation with the doctor. And I was reminiscing about how I have had a lot of passion with previous partners, like the Mr. Biggs I was referencing before. And she raised a really good point by asking, yeah, but how old were you when you were with them? And I was like, "Mm, in my 20s. And she was like, and were you running a business back then? And I was like, "Mm, no. And she goes, I wonder how passionate things would be now. And it's impossible to know, but what I do know is that the age and stage you're in in life plays a huge role in how you feel in your relationship. As we age, hormonal changes start to affect how we feel as well as our energy levels and even our libido. I also used to be able to run on adrenaline and a couple of hours of sleep a day. Now, if I'm not in bed by 9.40, I am a total wreck the next day. And when you're young and have very few responsibilities, you have all the time in the world for intimacy. But as you get older, you've got to take the time to put in the effort. It actually reminds me of how I was recently speaking to a girlfriend of mine who is onto her second baby. 
Most nights she has both kids in bed with her. And when she does try to be intimate with her partner, often she is disturbed by one of her kids trying to climb into bed with them. And we're the same. Harley is literally our shadow. And every time we try to close the bedroom door, he does everything in his power to break it open. And trust me, there is nothing sexy about your dog crying on the other side of the door when you're trying to have some alone time. What's interesting though is... I also spoke to my nail lady about it and she is actually the one who encouraged me to air an ep about this very topic. She was explaining that most weeks she's so exhausted that the thought of having sex more than once a week feels like a burden. And she was explaining that most of her girlfriends actually feel the same way. And yet a lot of them question whether this means there is something wrong with their relationship. And that's the thing. We're living in this world where Instagram, movies, music, you name it, they're all painting this picture of what relationships should be like. And because of that, we're made to feel like if you're not jumping into bed every chance you get, something's wrong with you. But that's not real life. Relationships are not just about sex. There's so much more to a relationship than sex. It's about the long talks, the laughs, those moments when you're just sitting together in silence completely at ease. It's about feeling connected even when everything else is falling to pieces around you. We've really got to shake off this one-size-fits-all idea of relationships that's been fed to us. Every couple's different. For some, sure, sex is a big thing, but for others, it's the small gestures, the shared experiences, or the hand-holding that matters. And it makes me laugh to think about it now, but when Nick and I were having that serious chat, I asked him if he thinks there's something wrong with us because we aren't spending all day in bed having sex. And he was like, name me one couple a few years into their relationship, who is? And to be fair, I asked my friends if they think their parents are still hooking up like rabbits and they all said no. And that's the thing about passion. It's about the thrill, the chase, the heat of the moment. But as life partners, it's about the long haul. It's about knowing someone's got your back, that they're in your corner when life throws a curveball. It's about building a life together, not just enjoying the moment. And this doesn't mean you stop being lovers. It's just that you become so much more your confidants, allies, the best of friends, right? And my nail lady and I were also talking about how literally in wedding vows, you always hear people say, you're my best friend. And that's the thing. You're two best friends sharing the nitty gritty of day-to-day life. It's about sharing bills. It's late night runs to the pharmacy. It's laughing over a burnt dinner. The bottom line There is no normal when it comes to relationships. It's about finding what works for you and your partner, what makes you both feel loved, respected, and connected. But society has this blueprint, a sort of cookie-cutter mold for what relationships should look like, and it is total BS. We're bombarded with these images, these stories where everything's about that high-octane honeymoon phase filled with sparks and fireworks. But the reality is relationships ebb and flow. There will be a time where you can't keep your hands off each other and there will be times when you'll be tested. And sometimes because of that intimacy or passion, might take a back seat. Maybe you're dealing with a family crisis or maybe it's just the everyday grind wearing you down. In these times, sure, maybe you'll rate the passion at a six or five or even three, whatever it is, but this doesn't mean you love each other any less. You're still a team, but right now, instead of romance, maybe you're having to focus on survival. And 
I think it's important to remind ourselves that every relationship has its seasons. And during these toughest seasons, the way you show love and intimacy might change. It's less about the grand gestures and more about the strength you give each other. Meaning when passion takes that backseat, it's not necessarily a red flag. It's a sign, a sign that says, hey, we're going through something and it's actually an opportunity to grow closer in other ways. Maybe the flowers and bougie dinners are replaced with things like supporting each other, understanding and patience. Because in the end, what matters is knowing that these phases are just that, phases. They don't define your relationship. And it's not about how often you're passionate. It's about how deeply you connect in all the highs and lows. But if you're going to make your relationship work, you need to resist letting other people's views, opinions, or expectations influence you. Whether that unsolicited advice comes from a doctor or from your aunt or even your best friend, they're not the ones in your relationship. You are. You have to live your relationship on your terms according to your own values and rules. Don't let Instagram or the cursor comparison make you doubt the strength of your relationship or force you into conforming to other people's version of what a relationship should look like. And if you ever end up in the same situation as me where someone tells you you're with the wrong person, remember, The only two people who need to be happy with your relationship are you and your partner. That's it. 